Hey, good morning. This morning our scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, where Jesus says this to his followers. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's start today with something a little different, a sing-along. I'm sure you'll know this tune, but if not, you'll catch on quickly. You hold your index finger up high, you wave it a bit, I think you know where I'm going, right? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All right, that's enough. You get the idea. It's one of those children's songs almost universally known in Christian circles. It's simple, it's catchy, gets inside your brain. I'll bet you'll find yourself singing this little chorus in your head sometime later today. It's one of perhaps hundreds of praise songs and hymns and cantatas and symphonies that talk about how God's light is supposed to shine through us into this world. These simple words from Jesus about light have been sung millions of times in various tunes and languages all over the globe all throughout the centuries. And that popularity actually holds a special danger because we can become so familiar with these words and the idea of being a light for God that the meaning actually gets lost. Become so familiar that the meaning gets lost, we end up, you know, not shining very brightly. These words by Jesus were not meant to be sung. They were meant to be lived. And if we really catch on to what Jesus is talking about, it can actually change our lives, change the way we interact or approach the world around us, change our sense of purpose, release greater hope in us, give us greater energy and a renewed sense of joy as we walk with Christ as his people, his light-emitting community called the church. You are the light of the world. The very first words of God recorded in the Bible have to do with light. Genesis chapter 1, the very first word spoken, uh, word spoken of Scripture, God says, let there be light. In less than a nanosecond, God's poetically speaks light into existence. Out of his own essence, his own self, his own nature, God creates. It is in God's nature to bring order out of chaos. We're told that the world was formless and void and covered in darkness, but it's now flooded with God's own light essence in this beautiful explosion of his power and his essential glory. Genesis 1-3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, God saw that the light was good. Light is the very first thing that God names as good. And so throughout Scripture, light is used to depict the very presence of God. From the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert to all the imagery of lamps and oil wicks and all the rest, candles in the portable tab tabernacle and then in the more permanent uh, temple. And even into the coming one, the Messiah. The Gospel writer John intentionally connects the beginning of his gospel to the beginning of Genesis as he describes Jesus as God's anointed Messiah. Let's hear John chapter 1. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you see the parallels? Jesus, who eternally existed and perpetually exists as the second person of the Trinity, was actually God the Father's agent of creation. With the Holy Spirit, who is also included in the creation account in Genesis 1.1, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all present at creation as the one triune God, this, this mystical oneness that we can, we can barely comprehend. They are all wrapped in light as they participate in the creation of all things. So light is a big deal in the Bible and in the way God reveals himself to humanity. The Lord is my light and my salvation, sang King David in Psalm 27. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, says Psalm 119. Even this Old Testament beatitude from Psalm 85, blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. We could go all day looking at all the various ways light is used in Scripture as this, this wonderful, warming, cleansing, comforting, guiding image of God's very presence. Light is the number one image used throughout Scripture to describe who God is. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. We're told in 1 John 1.5. God is light. But for our purposes today, the most important thing to notice is how Jesus embraced this image of light for himself. He intentionally and emphatically embraced this messianic role of light for himself. John 8:12. When Jesus again spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9:5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of God's presence in the world, a very strong messianic claim. Jesus positioned himself to be this very presence, the very visible glory, the very essence of God in human flesh as he walked among you know, fishermen and shopkeepers, as he bumped, into, bumped up against Pharisees and skeptics. But take note of that last verse that I read from John 9, 5. Let me, let me read it again. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. While I am in the world. Well, what happens when he's not in the world anymore? What happens to the light after he goes through the cross, resurrection, eventually ascends to the throne room of heaven? What happens to the light of God's presence then? Jesus looks to his disciples, his followers, to those who have put their faith in him, to those whose hearts have been surrendered to him, whose souls have been united to him. He looks to them in the eye and he says, you are the light of the world. Holy cow, that is no small thing. That is an enormous responsibility. You are the light of the world. Jesus was saying, you know, being God's light was my job. Now I'm handing it off to you. What was my calling, I now lay on your shoulders. I am transferring this, this monumental thing, being the presence of the glory of God. I'm transferring this job to you. And the you is plural, by the way. Most of the time when we... We kind of misread this passage, think it's directed just to us as individually, but it's plural. It's to you, to you, my church. You are the light of the world. To you, my body, 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, church, and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is speaking to you individually, but much more so as you come together collectively and form this new community called the church. To you, plural. And also in the Greek, the emphatic tense, which means it should be translated to you and to you alone. That's the light Jesus means. His transformed people, his beatitude people. Those whose lives are shaped and molded and guided by Jesus' teaching, and even more so, who are experiencing God's saving presence in their hearts. Christ in you, let your light shine. You see, Jesus has a purpose for his people. Jesus has a purpose for his people to spread the light of Christ to all humanity. Last week in the earlier verses where Jesus talked about being salt, we saw that his listeners would have thought of salt as mainly a preservative, like, like salt being rubbed into raw meat to prevent the meat from spoiling. Being salt was sort of a passive thing, as the saltiness of God's people could sort of ooze or kind of quietly spread out into culture. That was one role for Christ's people, but here the challenge changes. Light is active. Light has to shine. Light is on. Light confronts the darkness. Light is not compatible with it. So being the light of the world has more to do with an active influence than just passive preservation. Being the light of the world has more to do with active influence than with passive preservation. So if we're going to take this activity, take this challenge up that Jesus gives to be his light, we've got to recognize at least a few things. First, that the world is a dark place without Christ. The world is a dark place without the light of God's grace. Just look around. Without the restraining grace of God, our world would quickly descend into chaos and destruction. What is it about our species where we're the only part of God's creation that just seems to be so self-destructive? The only supposedly intelligent species, but will knowingly poison our own environment out of greed. The, uh, the only species that acts in such a way as to compromise our biologically given sexual nature, that so willingly kills off our own offspring, that inflicts such abuse and harm on our own out of anger or, or even sexual perversion, that goes to war against our own kind because of selfishness or fear or color or culture, that will hoard and covet when others are in need and have no remorse about it whatsoever. As long as I've got mine, the rest of humanity can go to hell. The world can be a very dark place because people need the Lord. You see, there is a virus across the land, a virus in the human heart, the human soul called sin. This beautiful world that God created with light has been damaged by the darkness of sin, and it is not working the way God intended it to work. The natural world is off balance because of the darkness of sin. In Romans 8.20, the Apostle Paul poetically puts it, that creation, this created world, is subject to futility, to frustration, to frailty. In other words, entropy happens, things decay, things don't work the way they're supposed to, things go wrong, things fall apart. Without constant attention or input, things just will fall apart. And that could be a marriage or a whole nation. And if you don't work the way God intended you to work, that's normal too. Your life is also subject to futility, to frustration, to frailty. The virus of sin has permeated our whole being, so that even our best efforts are stained by our own darkness. We know there are dark corners to our personality, to what we think and how we relate to God. It's a universal phenomenon. 
Jesus said it this way, starting in the very familiar verses from John 3.16. But read, listen to the whole passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the light of God. There's a part of me, a big part of me and you, that's comfortable in darkness. There's a big part of me and you that will actually resist God's light. And that's part of everyone's spiritual illness. People will resist the light, actually be repelled by the light, will actually jump back into the darkness rather than enter into the healing light of Christ, even though through his grace it's the only cure for what ails us. Christ's sacrifice, his body and blood shed for us, his, his powerful resurrection. That's the only vaccine that can cure the virus of sin in the human heart. People need the light of Christ. To really appreciate what it means to be Christ's light to the world, we first have to appreciate just how dark and decadent the world is. So many people around us who have no joy, no hope, no purpose, no guiding principles for their lives, who, who believe that their existence is just a random accident, that their existence is futile and senseless, who don't know, who don't believe that there is a God of love, who wants to embrace them and make them whole. And that's why we shouldn't be discouraged or feel defeated just because this world makes it hard on us. We can't stop living for Christ when things get difficult. We can't just throw in the towel just because there's opposition. Can't give up because the winds and are, are strong and the waves are high. We can't let persecution or hardship or quarantine dissuade us from actively shining for Jesus. Where you have decay, you need salt. Where you have darkness, you need light. And if you belong to Jesus, then you are already a part of his army of light. As I mentioned last week, Originally, it was the job of ancient Israel to be God's salt, to savor and bless the whole world through being this, this nesting place from which God's Messiah would come. Israel had a crucial part to play in God's plan to reach the world. Ancient Israel was also to be God's light. In a passage from Isaiah that we normally associate with Christmas, Isaiah paints a picture of Israel as the one to whom God's light is entrusted. Let me read Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise and shine, your light is come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, Israel, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Israel was to be that light, just as they had lost the savor uh, and the flavor like tasteless salt, they had also sort of lost the light and had given up on trying to reach the non-Jewish world with God's salvation. They became sort of a dim bulb, not even 40 watts strong. So as with salt, Jesus now says this job goes to the church. 
but the same danger exists. The same energy drain that afflicted Israel can also afflict the church. Hypocrisy, legalism, big egos, heresy, immorality, greed, a lack of love. All of that can compromise the church's witness to be the light of Christ. Remember our song, you know, don't let Satan it out? That's a real thing. So maybe that's where we need to focus. I mean, how's your flame doing? There's a simple principle in the spiritual life. It's got to happen to you before it can happen through you. It's got to happen to you before it can happen through you. In other words, you can't give away what you don't possess. You cannot give away what you don't possess. Do you know with certainty that you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that you have given your life to him? Do you know that for sure? Because if not, then really none of this applies to you. You're still in spiritual darkness. Maybe some light has started to filter into your heart like those first rays of a sunrise coming up over the Atlantic Ocean. Maybe you're beginning to warm to God's light. But to really be a light for Christ, you have to know with certainty, with assurance that you belong to him. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You have to know you are in solid relationship with Christ because you've received grace upon grace. If you're not sure, you can get sure. Even today, if you, even right now, as you pray in quiet or pray out loud, to turn your heart over to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to let the light of his salvation enter into your life. You may have been you know, hanging around church circles and doing church stuff for years, but you've never really sealed the deal with Christ. So why not be sure? Why not be crystal clear? And why not now? Why wait? And if you do, if you feel like you're ready to have, to talk about that kind of sunrise in your heart, I hope you'd either contact me, I mean, I or other staff members or any of our elders or deacons. We would love more, nothing more than to help you kind of turn on the light switch of God's grace in your life. It has to happen to you before it can happen through you. And then, how do you be the light? What do you do practice practically to, to, be, to, to be God's light on us? Not just some pie-in-the-sky imagery. How do we have this life that's marked with deeds and actions that will actually put the glory of God on display, that will actually point people in the direction of Jesus? Well, Jesus actually tells us. He tells us exactly how. It is not a mystery. He lays it out as plain as the nose under your COVID mask. Live in the way of the Beatitudes, and then just keep on reading the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Just keep reading in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then do what Jesus says. That's it. Take his words seriously. Do what he says. I challenge you to keep on reading on your own the rest of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then just take Jesus seriously. Live his way. And I promise you, your light will shine. Well, what is it that Jesus says in these next chapters? Let's go through the list. Let's see if it will be enough of a challenge for you. He says, first of all, work on your heart. Because murder and adultery begin as anger and lust. That's verses 21 through 28. Take sin seriously. Even with the hyperbolic advice to pluck out your own eye if it leads you into sin. That's verses 29 and 30. Keep your wedding vows. Work hard on your marriage. Stay married because God hates divorce. Verses 31 and 32. Always tell the truth. 
Mean what you say, say what you mean. Verses 33 and up on. Do more than is expected of you. Go the second mile at home or school or work. Chapter 5, verse 38. Do good to those that hate you. Verse 43. Do you love only those who love you? Jesus asks, what good is that? Don't be a hypocrite in your financial generosity and material things, but serve God as an audience of one. That starts chapter 6. Seek spiritual things over material things as you lay up treasures in heaven, 619. Don't worry about anything. Instead, trust God in everything. Seek him first. Don't, don't turn anxiety into a god or a false idol, verse six, chapter 6, verse 24. Be humble about your own shortcomings and less judgmental. Don't try to pick the speck of dust out of your brother's eye if you've got a big log in your own. That begins chapter 7. Develop a robust prayer life. Ask God for everything you need. Chapter 7, verse 7. Follow God's truth wherever it leads, even if it's a narrow path and few people are willing to walk with you. Chapter 7, verse 13. Obey God's commands consistently. Steep yourself in the truth and the power of Scripture. Live by it, and the foundation of your life will be strong in the storm. Chapter 7, verse 24. You know, if you do those things, the world is going to sit up and take notice. The world will see the, God, the glory of God displayed in your life. You will be God's light to the world. You see, the whole Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus describing the essence of what it means to be light in a dark world. Our greatest challenge is that there are so many people who call themselves Christians who act so badly and do damage to the cause of Christ because they don't actually live the way Jesus said his followers are supposed to live. They talk a good game, but they don't live it. So that just means the rest of us need to do an even better job as we represent Christ to the world. People need to see what healthy, vibrant, intelligent faith really means. And so our deeds have to come before our words. 1 Peter 2.12 says it this way, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We can't get all worried about how other Christians are living. We can't be deterred from our witness to Christ because of the bad witness of others who claim to be his disciples. Stay positive. Focus on yourself, on your relationship with God, and keeping our church family healthy and strong. In other words, don't put your light under a basket. Keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it close to Christ. I want to close with this example. I think it kind of hits home. Back in the year 1527, a deadly plague hit Martin Luther's hometown of Wittenberg in Germany, and he wrote a letter to a friend explaining how Christians should deal with such a complicated circumstance. He writes this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become, a, become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, and does not tempt God a light to the world. I mean, simple, practical, and close to Christ. Luther was acting as a light to his dark world. He wasn't going to cower in fear, 
but he also wasn't going to be reckless. He didn't do things that might damage his witness in the community. He looked for those practical ways where he could be a light for Christ in his dark time. And isn't that our calling right now? You know, this morning you might not be feeling like you've been a very bright light in your witness for Christ, you know. I believe and our church teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you're saved, you are always saved. Uh, once you give yourself to Christ, he is the one who guarantees your salvation. It's not up to you. It's his job to get you all the way home, and he's going to do it. So you might feel so discouraged that, you know, you feel like your light is flickering like, you know, the flame on a gas grill that's low on propane, you know, just barely sputtering. Well, let me tell you, Jesus promises that that flame will not go out, okay? Salvation, 100% his job, not yours. But that doesn't mean you can't find ways to turn up the flame. I mean, a flickering flame can't heat meat. A flickering flame can't cook anything. So that is partially our job. We need to see if our witness can improve. Can we adjust the gas? If our light can get hotter and shine brighter, the flame will never go out, but friends, your flame can grow stronger. So read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount this week and meditate on it. Let God speak to you through his written word. Let him challenge you to fulfill your calling as a disciple. Pray for opportunities this week to serve him as light in our present darkness. Joyfully accept the job Jesus has for you. You are the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord, what a tremendous challenge to end this summer series, that we would be your light, that you entrust us, you believe in us, you empower us enough that we could actually do this job of, of being lights to the world around us. Lord, we know we're not going to do it perfectly. We know that it's within this community called the church that we can lean on each other. And why it's so important that you said that love one another was the, was the key thing to do, that that's how people will know most of all that we are your disciples and that we point people in your direction, the kind of love that we exhibit for each other. But that love is not exclusive. It goes outward. It goes out to our communities, our people around us, those who are, don't know Christ, those who oppose Christ, that our love would be extended to all, Lord. Help us to take up this challenge. Help us to let your word sink deep into our hearts and bring change in how we live. Help us to turn up the flame on the light of God that we have within us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being part of who we are, and your presence strengthens us daily. We give ourselves to you again this week. In your name we pray. Amen.